Welcome to the Philanthropy Australia podcast, a destination for those who are interested in the issues, the debates and the thinking about philanthropy. In each episode, we'll bring you a short discussion about the issues engaging the nation's philanthropists and those in the for-purpose sector, whether it's a discussion about what it means to be a philanthropist in Australia, guidance to improve your giving practice, or information about Philanthropy Australia's signature thought-leading events, this podcast is for you. Okay, welcome. Thank you for your time, Carrie and Wendy. Let's talk about Impact 100. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about the fact that it's been around for such a long time now, and you've obviously been involved in it as well, Karen, supporting some of its initiatives. What I'm interested in is, as you look on it now, Wendy, would you do anything different? Oh my gosh, that's a really good question, Nick. Um, I would say, as it relates to the model, Impact 100 and how it operates and where we go, I wouldn't do anything differently. However, when I look at providing support to the individual Impact 100 chapters, I wish I could turn the clock back and start providing the support that we're providing today back from the beginning all the way up till now. So that's honestly the only change I would make is to start giving support earlier and in a robust way, the way we're gearing up to do now. Okay, and Carrie, from your, your point of view, as someone who's inside it, but also a little bit outside it, what do you see as its successes and what contribution it's made to a number of communities? So the reason our foundation got involved is that it's one of the most brilliant models of giving that exists in the globe. And we see the potential for it to not just affect, um, we have 60 chapters in America and six chapters in Australia. Eight in Australia. Eight in Australia. And I would like to see 500 chapters in Australia. Mm -hmm. That's how much I believe in the model. Mm -hmm. And the model is that everybody has a stake in the game. Or the model is that we all have something to contribute to the cause. So a lot of times, you know, we see the big headlines of big foundations giving money, and that's good and has a place. But there's also a role for women like Wendy and myself that we can write a $1,000 check and be, become part of a collective giving. And not all of us can write a check for $100,000. But I bet you most of us, if we were to put 10 girlfriends together, we could each find 10 more girlfriends and we'd have 100 people and we could give away $100,000. So how much do you think there is scope outside of this model for an organic coming together of, of people to actually operate in a similar way? I'm not sure what you mean by outside the model, because I would say everything about Impact 100 has been pretty organic in its origins mm -hmm. and as it's grown. So perhaps if you could tell us what you mean when you, when you talk about outside the model. So something spontaneous, people who kind of spot a problem in their community and kind of go, we need to come together, we need to, and this is a this is the thing that we want to fix. And, and once they've fixed it, they kind of go, okay, that's it, that's done. No, okay. We move on. Sure. You know, I would say that sort of giving has been around forever yes. and will always be around. Mm -hmm. um, 
the major differences, of course, center around process. So there are lots of giving organizations that crop up because a handful of friends want to get together and do something in honor of someone's birthday or another milestone. So they throw a certain amount of money together in the pot and then they figure out where it's going to go. Or in your example, they have a particular cause they want to help. And so they rally the troops, they help that, that cause, and then they, they move on to the next thing. That sort of giving is not necessarily exclusive. In other words, someone who might be a member of a local Australian Impact 100 chapter may also participate in this sort of pop-up giving, if you will. Um, and hopefully, someone who participates in a pop-up giving circle may look to the more process and transformation sustainability of participating in one of the Impact 100 chapters. It's, I believe, that we just have to start where we are, where we're comfortable, and what calls our hearts, our minds, our checkbooks. And whether that's a quick opportunity to be one and done, or whether it's a significant gift or membership in an Impact 100 chapter, just starts. There's not a wrong way to do it. So one of the things that interests me is your foundation support for the Young Philanthropy Program. And I think it's given where we are in terms of the generational transfer of wealth, which is a significant issue in this country, and I'm sure as sure. it is in yours, how valuable you see this as creating a pattern of, and a, of giving in, in another generation. So we believe in it so much. I actually am doing two things simultaneously. Mm -hmm. I have started a youth philanthropy club in the United States where I give um, either a school or a college $4,000 and they have to learn how to give my money away through active giving. And they form their own committees and then they research grants and then they try, they have to give in their own community. And this has been life-changing for our new students. So we're already past millennials, then we went to Generation Z. We actually are seeing Generation Alpha they already have 8 million kids in Generation Alpha. They've already been named. And 2.5 million kids are being born into this group weekly. They're actually going to be the wealthiest generation ever in the history. Because just like you said, of the wealth transfer, by the time, it, by the time us pass, it will be handed down to our children or our grandchildren. So my grandchild will be born into Generation Alpha. And the best thing we can do is give people that hands-on experience because it's not the transaction that matters in giving. It's what comes with your heart. And I truly believe that Wendy can cite the data on how giving actually can make you feel better about yourself. It can make you feel happier. It can alleviate stress. So there's much more to giving than just trying to figure out what is your cause and what is your passion, but you also actually receive something back from giving. And it's about learning how to figure out how you want to give. And why I love the Impact 100 model is because you can give your time, you can write a check, you can get involved as much as you want, and you can learn the process. So that's why it was so important to us to sponsor youth at a sponsorship level is for these young girls to talk with other peers of how important philanthropy is 
and philanthropy can be volunteering. Mm, absolutely true. So are you getting a sense that there is a receptivity in this alpha generation to the idea? Or is it because in a sense so much of what we learn is the example our parents set us. So mm-hmm. is is there are they seeing those examples? Are they learning from that? Well, if they're not, they can. Mm-hmm. So not every parent is capable of setting that example, mm-hmm. and especially when we do our at risk, mm-hmm. but they have it here in their heart. Everybody has something to give that unique. And what we're trying to do, whether it's at Impact 100 or Mortgage Family Foundation, is how do we help you reach your full human potential? And we believe that giving is a huge part of that or an act of kindness. Just be kind, be good to the person next to you instead of being a jerk. So, in terms of growth and potential, so is Impact 100 for you now a matter of spreading the word and getting it taken up across the globe, or is it also going, okay, the template is good, we've established that, but we also need to tinker a bit here or tinker a bit there uh, so that it actually might even have increased take-up rates in other countries? Um, I would tell you that it's less tinkering with the actual model and more support for the, for the leaders who are doing the heavy lifting in every community. Mm. One of the most important facets of the Impact 100 model is that we're run by volunteers. And if you read anything, and I am sure you're very well read in the subject, most experts will tell you that's not sustainable to have a nonprofit fully run by volunteers. And yet, If you look at Impact 100, we've been thriving and we're growing at a faster rate today than we were back when we started in 2001. Part of the reason for that is the infrastructure support. So part of what the Mortgage Family Foundation has done, which has been a game changer for every member of every impact around the globe, they just may not realize it to the extent that that I'm about to explain, is that My role now is leader of the Impact 100 Global Council. Our organization exists to support every single chapter, every Impact 100 chapter, wherever they are, and all those communities who'd like to start a new Impact chapter. And the way we do that is we get funding from the Mortgage Family Foundation so that we can offer things like the Young Philanthropist Program grants, We had a matching membership grant that was also given to every impact chapter in Australia and the United States. We also do things like conferences and convenings. We have a grants platform. We have marketing and new logo. We have all of these services because in order for the local chapter to thrive, those local leaders need guidance. They need help. They need a place to go to to have questions answered. They need a place to go to to share their great ideas and to learn from other great ideas. It is in that way that despite the trends, despite what everyone will tell you about being run as a volunteer organization, we have been able to surpass all expectations because we do have built-in turnover so our volunteers don't get burned out. We have support delivered from every possible mechanism, whether it's through an electronic newsletter, an in-person convening, a podcast, a webinar, regional opportunities, or things like this trip, 
where we come into that local chapter, we meet with the leaders and provide one-on-one -on -one coaching on exactly where their issues are, their pain points, if they're hitting a wall that they're not sure how to get around to get to the next level of growth, we're there to offer very personal one-on-one -on -one attention. Okay, so one final question, which I want to bring it, take some of those things and bring it to something that you've become aware of since you've been in the country, and that's obviously our bushfire crisis, sure. the devastation which has been un unheralded really and, and certainly so extensive and devastating. Um, so how do you see this model being able to work in that set of circumstance, both in terms of dealing with the aftermath and perhaps even providing some level of ongoing support in what will be a, a long time to rebuild, for those communities to rebuild? You know, we've had a lot of conversation about this since we've come mm. to your country and even in anticipation of being here. This is a crisis that's affecting everyone. Mm. Where collective giving come, can step in and where Impact 100 specifically in this country is moving is to be an aggregator of information, to take the lead in order to tell not just our members, those who donate to our causes, but also anyone who follows us, be it on social media or, or any other way, so that we can provide the resources of who is doing what and where, what's effective, what's truth versus some of what's being told that might not be valid, being holding the light so that people can see where to go and what to do next. Now, within the Impact 100 model, every single year, we invite our members to come in and they donate by giving $1,000 and we pool it and we give it away the same year. And so most of your impact chapters in Australia have recently given away their big money, which means right now they're inviting those community members to get involved, at which point they will start collecting those $1,000 and start inviting nonprofits to apply. We expect in this time that many of the nonprofits who come forward, whether they be in the education space, the environment, preservation, recreation, mm -hmm. health mm -hmm. and wellness, family, or arts and culture, we expect that when we start to see those applications come in, it will be tied to this disaster. And there will be ways that we can plug in not just our members' individual checkbooks, hearts, minds, you know, roll up their sleeves and go and help where they can, but also these significant and transformational grants. We believe that we're going to see them come together. But for right now, when we don't have a grant cycle ready to distribute that money, we want to point to the people in the community who are really good at disaster relief, who are really good at coming in at the right time. And at the same time, we want to make sure that we are spreading good information. When we talk about empowering women or empowering communities to come and stand together in order to collectively do more than we could ever do individually, part of that is giving them the tools, the right information, so they know where they can be effective. Everyone, we're seeing this outcry around the globe. Um, I In the United States, it is a constant conversation. Your disaster is a constant conversation mm -hmm. around the world.
But unless the conversation is moderated with truth and fact finding, sometimes that conversation can get derailed in a way that is damaging to everyone. Because not only do you give bad information, but if someone acts on that bad information and then they feel uh, that somehow it's all, you know, it's all a racket, it's a hoax, it's whatever it is, you're you're maybe preventing those people from giving next time. So getting good information quickly and universally is going to help for generations. Carrie, Wendy, thank you very much for joining the Philanthropy Australia podcast. Nick, thank you so much. We appreciate it.